Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. All right, tonight we're going to talk about something I think that's very important for us to all know and understand, and that's called the sovereignty of God. And I'm titled the message, Sovereignty Explained. And we're going to begin by looking at Numbers chapter 23 and verse 19. And once again, this is talking about the sovereignty of God. God is not a man. Beautiful. We thank God that he's not. That he should lie. Neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken and shall he not make it good? A very important scripture for all of us to really commit to memory. And remind ourselves daily that look, God's not a man. He's not limited by finite limitations. So because he's not a man and he sees things from a better vantage point, he's not going to say anything at all that would produce a lie. Why? Because he sees in advance, way in advance, when something's going to transpire or happen. Like he could predict that a woman's going to bring forth a child, a virgin, no less, 700 years before it happens, and it's going to come to pass. Why? Because he sees the end. He knows the end better than the beginning. And so God's not like us. If we give our word out and say, I'm going to be somewhere at some point in some time in my life, and something happens in the meantime that I didn't know of or I wasn't aware of, I might have to back out of my uh, commitment. God has never had to back out of a commitment. Why? Because he sees the future. And so he's not a man. He's not limited. He doesn't lie. What he says is going to come to pass. And if he says it, he's going to back it up and make it good. This is what enables us to rest our head upon the pillow of his promises when we go to sleep at night. Because we know he neither slumbers nor sleeps. He's going to watch over us because he's promised to do so. Well, before I really get into the meat of my message, I'd like to take us back to the very beginning when God, first of all, created all things, including the angelic host. When he created, for example, even all the angels, he gave them boundaries in which they were to operate. That he would deal with them in certain ways and they would deal with him in certain ways and they had to remain within the boundaries you know, that he's established for their being. Well, it was up to them to make a decision to stay there. And if they didn't make a decision to stay there, then there were consequences for that. And you know as well as I do, when Lucifer made a decision that he said five times, I will, I will, I will, I will be like the Most High God, he made his own decision to step beyond the boundaries that God established for his being. And even though God is a sovereign God, and we know that he is in uh, the one who has created all things, he also had laws by which we're to function and operate. And once... Lucifer stepped beyond those bounds. He was judged. And of course, we know his judgment is eternally to be cast into the lake of fire. Well, when God created Adam and Eve, the same thing is true. He made man in his image and likeness, but also he established for him boundaries for their operation. As far as how they would conduct themselves with him and he would conduct themselves with them, he established all that. It was up to them to stay within those boundaries. If they step beyond those boundaries, then, of course, there were consequences. And we know what they were. The fall of man. So as a result of what they chose to do, 
They brought the curse into the world and all the upheaval and all the evil that we experience in this realm of life in which we live. So even though God is a sovereign God, he certainly establishes things the way he wants them to be established. But then once again, he gives the control over to the individual to make certain whether or not they're going to use their free will to do what? Honor God. So when it comes to sovereign, let's define sovereign. If by it we mean that God is in control of everything that takes place on the planet, everywhere, all the time, then I think we're misled. God is not in control of everything that takes place on planet Earth at all times. If we believe it means that God can do what He wants to do, when He wants to do it, how He wants to do it, and so on, once again, we're not understanding what true sovereignty actually means. Even though that He is the creator of all things and He's established boundaries for people's operation, it's up to the individual to make personal choices as to what they are going to do, and God is not in control of the decisions that a person may make in their life. He wasn't in control of what Adam and Eve did in the very beginning. He wasn't in control of what Lucifer did in the very beginning. They made a decision to step beyond those boundaries. And that was their decision. That was their choice. Now, even though it may sound good for people to say, well, God's in control of everything that takes place because He is a sovereign God, it may sound good, but you know, it's one of the major reasons why people secretly are upset with God and angry toward God and actually hate God. I'll never forget the time when I was at Rhema Bible Training Center. At that time, it's Rhema Bible College right now, but back then it was Rhema Bible Training Center. And I was in school in 1979, 78, 79. I think it was probably 78 when we first got there. And someone came to me and says, I have a close friend who's really distraught. This person has walked away from God, does not want to serve God. And would you mind talking to this individual? And I said, well, I won't mind at all. What's the problem here? And they said to me, that she had a problem with her child. The child had died. And she blames God. Why? Because everybody told her it was God that did this. God is in control of everything that takes place on the planet. And so I said, well, yeah, let's, let's talk. I, I'm, I'd like to talk to her. So she came and we got together and we talked. And she basically ex expressed herself. She shared her heart. And she said, I will never serve God ever again in my life. And I said, well, why do you feel that way? Why are you saying that? Well, doesn't the scripture say he won't give you more than you can handle? And I thought she's talking about 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13. that tells us that God is a faithful God who won't allow us to be tempted above that which we are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape. And she said, yes. Isn't that what God said? And then she went on to explain. She said, I went to different pastors in the area and they all told me the same thing. That God took my child's life because he needed her in heaven. And so I blame him for giving me something that I could not handle at all. This was beyond anything I could possibly think of that God would do this. And so I absolutely refuse to serve him if that's what he did. And I did my best to sit down with her and talk to her and just basically to say to her, you know what, God is really not the one who did that. I don't know where you got that information from. I don't know who these pastors are. I don't know what they believe. But I want you to know something. God is not the author of death. He's the author of life. And as the scriptures teach us, Jesus said, I came to give you life more abundantly. Not to steal, not to kill, not to destroy. God's not the author of your child's death. He would not want that. That is not his will for any baby that they would die prematurely. But we also know that we're living in a fallen world. 
And because we live in a fallen world, which was made the way it is. Why? Because of Adam and Eve's choice and decision from the very beginning. We will encounter things like birth defects, tornadoes, hurricanes, all kinds of upheavals in this realm of life. Why? Because of the fall of man. So as a result of the fall of man, we know we face these things, but we can't blame God for things that he does not do or he did not do. And so the fact that your baby has gone to heaven, my heart goes out to you. But I want you to know that God is not the fault. God is not the one to be blamed. If anything, let's blame the one who needs to be blamed. Let's go to the very beginning and talk about Adam and Eve and what they did. And then let's talk about the enemy, Satan himself, who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. We know he has no good intentions whatsoever. And so I did my best to try to convince her that this was not a part of the plan of God for your child's life. This was not the will of God. This was not a work of God whatsoever. When Jesus was on this earth, he demonstrated what the will of God really is. And that is he went everywhere, healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. He was the one that was standing against all the evils of this age and all the evils that we experience in this realm of life. Everywhere he went, he set captives free, he healed the sick, he raised the dead, he cleansed the lepers. All those wonderful things he did, he did because of compassion for humanity that was hurting. That's the true and living God. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. He was the Father in action on earth. And so therefore, I tried to give it to her the best I possibly could. And I know she went away. I can only pray that it penetrated her soul. I can pray that since I sowed the seed of God's word into her heart, that prayerfully someone else came along and watered it, and it brought fruit in her life, that she would realize that it wasn't God who's the enemy, but it was the enemy who's the enemy, and that she should serve God. Because you know what? She wants to see her loved one again, her child ever again in glory. And she's going to have to walk with God and serve Him. Now, things do happen that are outside the plan of God, and we have to understand that. But first, let's define sovereignty, even from a, let's say, a dictionary, uh, its definition. It means, number one, to be supreme or paramount. Uh, number two, it means having supreme rank or power. Uh, number three, it means being independent. Like this is a sovereign state, an independent state, independent of other uh, governing powers. Or it also means excellent. And so when you put these together, you can say that God is, yes, supreme. God is, yes, powerful. God is, yes, independent. We understand that. And we know that he's excellent without question. We know that he's excellent. But notice none of those definitions say that he is in control of everything that's taking place on planet Earth. It just doesn't state that. It doesn't mean that. So does this mean that God's controlling everything just because he is supreme, just because he's all-powerful, just because he's excellent, just because he's all-knowing and all that? No, it doesn't mean that. You know, we do have an enemy who's at work in the earth right now, and that's something that we need to understand and know as well. Otherwise, we're going to get caught up with this kind of mentality, and it's just going to affect our faith. It's going to compromise our faith. So it's important that we understand that our belief system is extremely important. God, who is a sovereign being, you could say it this way, limited himself to his own word or to his own promises. And he didn't have to do that, but because he is a sovereign being, he has a right to do that. Now, look at the book of Hebrews, chapter 6 and verse 18. Our text tells us that God's not a man to lie or the son of man to repent. If he said it, he will do it. If he spoke it, he will make it good. Now, notice this verse. That by two immutable things in which it was impossible 
Notice the word impossible for God to lie. We might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Notice the writer of Hebrews says it is impossible for God to lie. So if God makes a statement or if God makes a promise, then it's impossible for him to renege on that promise or he becomes a liar. Look at another verse in the book of Titus chapter 1 and verse 2. One of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said, the Christians are always, I'm sorry, that should be verse 2 and not verse 12. Uh, basically what it says is this, that God cannot lie. God cannot lie. So we understand that God can't lie. He is a supreme being. He is a excellent creator. He's an excellent governor, but he's supreme in all his ways. And remember this, he can't lie. So when a supreme governing power makes a promise, it is impossible for him to go back on that promise. Absolutely, positively impossible to go back on that promise. So if he said it, he's going to do it. If he spoke it, he's going to make it good. He is bound to make good every promise that he makes. In the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, I believe it's verse 20, it makes it very clear that all the promises of God are yea, and the amen is spoken by us in him. What does that mean? That anything that God promises, the answer is yes to. So no matter what promise he makes you, he has to follow through and make it good. Some people get a little bit nervous when you talk like that and say that God is bound to perform a promise. But it's the truth. Think about it. He limited himself to his own word, to his own covenant, to his own promises, and basically says, I cannot step over the boundaries I've established for myself. Now think about that statement. He set up boundaries for the angels. He set up boundaries for man. He set up boundaries for himself so that you and I can have strong faith. So we can believe and trust that he will do what he said he was going to do. So he establishes boundaries with promises and says, I will not go over that boundary. And I will perform what I say. Now go back and think about that when it comes to Noah. What did he tell Noah? I'll never destroy the earth ever again by a flood. All humanity is safe from that kind of destruction. Now, can he go back on that? Can he renege on that? Can he say, because I'm sovereign, I can change that? And the answer is absolutely, positively not. He cannot change something he established as a boundary for himself and his own operation with mankind. If he can do that, then we cannot possibly have any kind of faith. He did this for our good, not for his good, but for our good, to let us know that we can trust him. Look at another verse in Hebrews chapter 13, 8, and I'm sure you're familiar with this text. Hebrews 13, verse 8 says, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. What does that mean? He never changes. I am the Lord, I change not. Look at Malachi, chapter 3 and verse 6. For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. Because God cannot change. Once he's established his own boundaries, he is not going to change. He's not going to cross over them. He's not going to do anything to get us to doubt his integrity. And so he has bound himself like we've been bound to walk within the perimeters of the, let's say the boundary established for us as individuals. But he's done the same thing to himself. And you might think, well, that's wrong. You shouldn't talk like that. But wait a minute. Is he sovereign? Yes. If he's sovereign then and you say he can do what he wants to do, when he wants to do, how he wants to do it, well then guess what? He just did it. He made a promise he cannot break. 
Now, look, you and I, we're human. And we try to keep our promises to our children. And maybe in some cases, because we are human, we can't keep a promise. We're going to take you to Disney next year. But guess what? COVID-19 hit. We can't even take you to Disney next year. You made a promise, but you didn't fulfill it. Why? If you were God, you would have known COVID's going to hit. And you would have known not to make that promise because you see the future. But you see, because we are limited, finite beings, we can make promises and we break them because we don't know the future. Now, you didn't mean, let's say, to renege on your promise. You just couldn't do it. You couldn't fulfill it. Well, God set up boundaries for himself. Why? So we can trust him. So we can have faith. Look at this other verse in Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 19. He allows us to make choices based on what his will is for our life. He reveals this truth that this is my will for your life, but then it's up to us to make the right choice. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your seed may live. Notice what the verse says. He's placed it out there for us. We can have life or death, blessing or cursing. Actually, you should go on down and read further. It says, and good or evil. But it's up to us to make a choice. But he tells us what to choose. He says, I'm telling you to choose life. Now, he's not going to make you choose life. He's not going to make me choose life. But he's telling us to choose life. And why is he doing that? To determine what we're going to do with our free moral agency. It's up to us to make the right choices and decisions. If he was in control of everything that takes place on the earth, then guess what? His will would always be done on earth as it is in heaven. But Jesus said in his prayer, the Lord's prayer, that we're to pray that thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. What does that tell us? It's up to us to make a choice or a decision to enforce the will of God in earth as it is in heaven. We've got to choose life. We've got to choose good. We've got to choose blessing. It's up to us to make our choices. God's will doesn't just happen, let's say, arbitrarily. Look at 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. It says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So it's the will of God that all come to repentance. It's the will of God that none perish. And he's not holding back on his promise. He's being patient to get more people into the kingdom. And that promise is fulfilled, and it will be fulfilled in its season. But the point is, God is giving people the opportunity to make the right choice so that they don't perish. So is it his will that people perish? No. Does he want all men to be saved? Yes. So is God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven? No, because people are perishing every day. But why are they perishing? If he's in control, they would not be perishing. If he's in control of everything that takes place on the earth in people's lives, then they would not be lost for eternity. Everyone would be saved. But that's not what the scriptures show. Look at Ezekiel chapter 33 and verse 11. Saying to them, as I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? What's he saying? If he was in control, everybody would be saved. Everybody would make the right choice. Everybody would make, would make the right decision, but he's not in control. He left that control up to the individual as to whether or not they're going to choose life or choose death. And that's a hard pill to swallow when you're standing before the great white throne judgment and you hear yourself say, no, I don't want Christ in my life. You made a choice. God didn't want you to be in eternity in the lake of fire. He wanted you to be with him in glory. 
but yet you made a decision that you're going to do what you want to do. Why? Because you wanted to live your life the way you wanted to live your life. Anyone can make that choice and decision if they want to, and God will allow it. But that doesn't mean he's in control of it. It doesn't mean he wanted it to happen. He didn't want it to happen. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5. There are those that say everything happens for a reason. Have you heard that? I hear that all the time. Everything happens for, <clears throat> for a reason. <clears throat> and it could be things that are awful, evil, bad things that happen. And people will just kind of a fallback scripture. Everything happens for a reason. There is a reason for everything that takes place under the sun. A season, a reason, and so on and so forth. We've got to qualify that statement. In 1 Peter chapter 5, and verse 8 and 9. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil. Now, first of all, let's stop right there. Why would I have to be sober and vigilant at all if God's in control of everything and God's will is always being done on earth in all situations? Why, why do I have to be concerned about anything? Well, because our adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. May means, you know, mother, may I? What's that talking about? Give permission to. May I? Well, he's actually saying, may I devour you? How's he going to devour us? If we think wrong, believe wrong, speak wrong, act wrong, guess what? He'll devour us. Now notice this. Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Well, why would there even be a warning for us to stand against an enemy who's coming against us as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, if God's will is always being done, and God's always in control of everything, and everything that happens is a design of God. Yes, things happen for a reason, and this reason is because He wants to devour people. Look, this COVID-19 thing, there's n the only reason for that is to destroy human lives. And in some cases, even political control. But regardless of all that, the point is there's no good thing about it. It is not the will of God. God's not the force behind it. He is the problem solver. He is not the cause of the situation. Now, look at Galatians chapter 6 because this will help us put things into perspective. Look at verse 7. Be not deceived. Don't accept as truth what is a lie. Like, God is in control of everything that takes place on the planet. It's not true. God, whatever happens, God wants it to happen. Not true. God's not willing that any should perish. So don't be deceived. In the book of James, we are told they were deceived because they thought God was the cause behind their problems. And James tried to tell them, who's the half-brother of our Lord, and just said, wait a minute. When you fall into diverse temptations, know this, the trying of your faith works patience, the patience have a perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. So count it all joy, because guess what? Don't blame God for the situation. He's not the cause of it. He went on to say, don't be deceived, just like Peter said, or just like Paul said. Don't be deceived by this. You're in error thinking that. God's not the cause of your problems. So don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. So notice this. He places the responsibility on the farmer. If he wants corn, then plant corn. If he wants tomatoes, then plant tomatoes. If he wants wheat, then plant wheat. Whatever he sows is what he's going to reap. If we sow to the flesh, he went on to say, we reap corruption. If we sow to the Spirit, we reap life everlasting. So in other words, he places the responsibility on the individual to make a right choice and decision, to live within the boundaries that God established for him. He says, choose life and choose the way of life. 
So God has given us all free will. If we sow wrong things, we can't expect to receive or experience right things. If we sow wrong things, we're going to reap wrong things. If we sow apple seeds, we're going to produce apple trees. Because what we sow is what we are going to reap. You see, with every action, there is a reaction. If you were, for example, to take smoke 10 packs of cigarette every day for 20 years and you end up with lung cancer and it's directly related to the smoking, it's what you sowed and that's what you're going to reap. So to say that it's happened for a reason, well, the reason is obvious. It's because of that. It's because of what was sown in that person's life. Now, was God in control of that? Absolutely not. That was a product of sowing and reaping. If you, for example, get all your money and just keep on gambling it away and gambling it away and you're losing and losing and losing, you're sowing that, what are you going to reap? Financial probably um, bankruptcy and despair. Whatever it is that we do, whatever it is that we sow, we're going to reap in our lives and God communicated that to us effectively. And Paul tried to tell people, look, what you sow, you're going to reap. And so therefore, don't blame God. God's plan for you is for good. Look at Jeremiah 29 and verse 11. We know the verse, but let's read it. You know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith God, or saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace, not for evil, to give you an expected end. So his plans are for good things, not evil things, to give us a future, to give us a hope. He wants us to prosper and be in health, even as our souls prosper. He wants us to experience the quality of life that he came to give life more abundantly. Life beyond anything we can possibly imagine or think. Even while we're living here on the earth. You see, the promised land represented God's will for the Israelites. In the promised land, he says it flows with milk and honey. In that place, you're going to have houses you didn't build, wells you didn't dig, vineyards you didn't plant. Trees full of fruit, fruit trees that you didn't plant. And you're going to have the highest quality of life. And I, I love this, will be an adversary to your adversary, an enemy to your enemy. And if they try to come against you, they're coming against me. I will fight for you. I will defend you. I will protect you. I will honor you. I will highly esteem you and make all the nations of the world jealous because of you. Because I am the one caring for you. That was his goal. That was his will. Was that well established under Moses? No, absolutely not. Why? Was it God, let's say, who was the, the culprit who prevented it from happening? No. It was the decision that they made not to cooperate with God and do what God said to do so they could get into the promised land. He made it so easy for them. I'll go before you. I'll send my angel before you. They'll drive out the inhabitants of the land. Yes, they'll be there and you'll come up against them, but I will drive them out if you just trust me. But what did they do? They didn't trust him. So even though he had a great plan for their lives, a wonderful plan for their lives, they didn't experience it because they refused to walk with him in faith and allow him to do what he wanted to do. Look at James once again, chapter 1, this is verse 17. After telling them, look, don't be in error, don't be deceived, God's not your problem, he's not the problem uh, causer, he's the problem solver. He says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there's no variables, neither shadow of turning. In other words, there's no any way that he's going to go back on his promise. Everything he does, he does right. Everything he provided for us in redemption is perfect. God's not the problem. He's the problem solver. I remember some time ago, a friend of mine 
we went to high school together, he got saved first. And I didn't realize that he was saved for a while. But then I got saved way after he did. But we got in contact with each other in a certain way, which I've shared before. I won't get into it right now. But it was through a dream that he said he didn't believe in dreams and all that. But that's okay. Um, he was of this persuasion that everything happens is under God's control. And it happens for a reason. For He gave me this example. This is where he got it. That if you stepped into a bear trap, and the bear trap was around your ankle, and there you were, screaming out for help, crying out to get free, you better stop and think about whether or not you want to get free. Because God may have you in that bear trap for a reason. He caused this for a reason. And the only reason I can think of is just to have a lot of pain. But he went on to say, and let me explain myself to you. He said, Bill, because he knew that if anyone were to open up the bear trap, you took your foot out, you would fall off a cliff and die. So he rescued you from that death. I don't know about you, but hypothetical situations are really not a good resource for developing one's theology. Yes, you wouldn't want to drop off a cliff and die. But that's a hypothetical situation. I tried to tell him, look, brother, God loves you. God wants you free. God wants you to experience good and perfect gifts that come down from above. God wants you whole and delivered. And he wants to release you so you can serve him. And even though, yeah, he knows the future. He knows the beginning from the end and the end from the beginning. He wouldn't want you to be in that kind of pain. He's a loving, caring, heavenly father who has good things in sight for you. So let's not use hypothetical situations to try to come up with some kind of a doctrine that doesn't make any sense. Matter of fact, look at 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4. This is how we have to think. God made it so that we can overcome in this life, so that we can live victorious in this life, so that we can rise up above the challenges that we face in life. And there are many challenges that we all go through in life. But notice this verse. For whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. What's there to overcome if God's in control of everything? What's there to overcome if God's the one putting that uh, bear claw around your ankle? What's to overcome? You see, what happens is you think God's in control of this and you're not going to be delivered from it because you think God's the force that's behind it. And that's a wrong mentality. Look at Luke 10, verse 19. The victory that overcomes the world is our faith. Our faith is in the loving, caring, heavenly Father who has provided for us all that we need to overcome. Look at this. Jesus overcame the world for us so we can overcome with our faith. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. What's he saying? I'm authorizing you to use the power of my name to stand against all this evil that's coming against you in this life. He's going about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He can only devour us if we give him permission to devour us. And if we think wrong, we'll give him permission. You know, the Bible says, give no place to the devil. The Greek word is topos, territory, ground, entry points to the devil. Don't allow him to enter in through your thought life to make you think wrong because that's how he controls humanity. That's how he controlled even the very beginning. And so, if we think wrong that God's in control of my situation, God was in control when that baby died. No, he wasn't. God wanted another little flower in heaven. No, he didn't. That's not the truth. The truth is, God wants us to have a quality of life here upon this earth that will honor him and bless us, humanity. And he made that provision for us through the cross of Christ. All that he did for us, he did so that we could be blessed. 
by his sacrifice. As a matter of fact, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For us, he was made the curse. Why? Why did he do that? So we could be blessed with faithful Abraham. Blessed in the city, blessed in the field, blessed in the basket, blessed in the store, blessed coming in, blessed going out. The head and not the tail, above and not beneath. All of those were the blessings of Abraham that he said, they're now yours. Why? Because of what Jesus did for us. So if we think he's in control of everything and that he's controlling what's taking place as far as evil is in this world, then we're wrong. And all we need to do is humble ourselves and just say, Lord, I'm, forgive me, I was wrong to think that way. Now, why this view is important, I want to close with this. Why is it important for me to see that God is the problem solver, not the causer? To see that God's will is not always done on earth. That he's not in control of everything that happens on this planet. Well, number one, I believe that if I believe God wills my problem, then my faith is compromised and I need my faith to overcome the world. Why would I stand against something that God wills for my life? If God wills that I be sick, if God wills I be in poverty, if God wills I live on the street, if I will, if, if, if that's my mentality, then guess what? My faith is compromised. And I'm not going to know what his plan is for my life. Or I'm going to think his plan for my life is this evil that I'm experiencing right now. Number two, it identifies the problem solver and causer. The cause of the problem is the devil. Look at Acts 10, 38. This should be a scripture that every child of God should know, commit to memory, and embrace. This reveals to us the problem solver and the problem causer. How God, that is the Father, anointed Jesus, that is the Son of Nazareth, with the Holy Ghost, that's the third person of Trinity, and with power. Notice all the Godhead is incorporated into that one part of this verse, the first part of the verse, part A. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, the Holy Ghost and power, who went about doing good. He did good, not evil. Blessing, not cursing. Life, not death. And healing all that were oppressed of the devil. For God was with him. Notice the focus on good healing. Deliverance is all pointing to God. The problem solver. But notice, caused by the devil. Oppressed of the devil. The devil is the problem causer. He's causing the situation. God's not in control of it if he's causing it. Then someone will say, well, God's in control of the devil. Uh, and once again, I think people will fight, fight to give the devil place in their lives for some. Fight for the right to remain sick. Fight for the right to be, let's say, poor. Fight for the right to be whatever. Look, God gave us free moral agency. We've got to make a choice, a decision. It's arbitrary sovereignty versus the will of God. The will of God is that we all be delivered, set free, and made whole. And experience the quality of life that Jesus came to give us. But the enemies come to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to absolutely snuff us all out and prevent us from experiencing the goodness of God. Third reason. Number one, we said, my faith is compromised if I believe wrong. Number two, I have to identify who the problem solver is and the problem causer is. Number three. And this is so powerful. I need an anchor for my soul. 
my soul needs to be anchored. Why? Because my thinking is going to be off. I'm going to be like a wave tossed with the wind and the sea and the wave back and forth, vacillating between two opinions. That's what's going to happen. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 6, this section of scripture is probably one of my favorite sections of scripture. It says so much to us. When you understand the whole theme of the book of Hebrews, and you recognize the fact that they, they didn't get the promised land because of unbelief, and we understand that Jesus is far better than anything they ever had back in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament sacrifices and all that. Look at what he says in light of that. That you be not slothful or lazy. But followers of them who through faith and patience. Know these, notice these two powerful, you could say forces. Faith and patience inherit the promises. Follow those who through faith and patience. What does that mean? Don't follow the ten spies that didn't enter in. Follow the two spies that did enter in. Look at their mentality. Look at their mindset. They saw the same situation. They saw the same challenges. They saw the same difficulties. But guess what? They entered in. And why did they enter in? God himself said they had a right spirit within them. That's why. Now notice this. For when God made promise to Abraham because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. God swore by himself. Saying, surely blessing I will bless thee. Multiplying, I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men verily swear by the greater. That would be to God. And an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. In other words, if you go into a court of law and you say, I vow to tell the whole truth and so on. And I swear to tell the truth or whatever, how you ever would say it. You're saying, I am appealing to God and you can appeal to God with me that if, if I'm lying, he can strike me dead. And you're letting people know that you mean business. God swore by himself because he could swear by no greater. And once he swears, once he makes a statement, a promise, what did Numbers 23:19 say? He's not a man to lie, nor the son of man to repent. If he said it, he will do it. If he spoke it, he will make it good. So, it ends all strife. Wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise. That's us. We're the heirs of promise. Think about that statement. The heirs of promise. God made promises to us that he will carry out and will never renege on. The immutability of his counsel. Confirmed it by an oath. God basically swore by an oath. Swore to himself. That by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie. These people that say, you faith people think you got God in your pocket. No, 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 no. We didn't establish any kind of limitations for God. God established his own limitations when he said, I promise you. And once he made that promise, he cannot step over the boundary line. Otherwise, he becomes a liar and loses all integrity. It's impossible for God to lie. Okay, well, then what does that do for me? We might have a strong consolation, a strong, robust faith, confidence in God, because I know He can't lie, who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope that is set before us, which hope we have as what? An anchor for the soul. You know the battlefield is in the mind. We know that. And the mind's going back and forth, vacillating between two opinions and all that. But guess what? What anchors our soul is this. God said it. He promised it. He cannot lie. He will not lie. And therefore, I can trust Him. I can lay my head on the pillow of His promises. I can believe in His faithfulness at night and His loving kindness in the morning. It's an anchor for my soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters 
into that within the veil. It takes you right into the holy of holies. So when we go there, what are we supposed to say? Father, you said. You could say it this way. Father, you promised. You made a promise to me. Have your children ever said that to you? You promised daddy to take me here. You promised daddy to do this or that. And what does that do to you? You're right. And I'm going to make good. Well, guess what? God has more integrity than we all do put together. And so once he makes a promise, he'll fulfill it. So the sovereignty of God is found in this. A sovereign God chose to establish limitations for himself and is interacting with mankind. He did that so we can believe that he will do what he said or forfeit his integrity. So you and I know we have a blood covenant with God and God made promises to us that he will fulfill if we but do our part. So when he says he wants no one to perish, then he wants no one to perish. So you can call upon him to be saved and you'll be saved. And God cannot change. He has to save you. He has to deliver you. If you need forgiveness of sin, guess what? 1 John 1, 9 says he will. So you take that verse and you say, Father, you promised me. This is what you said. And guess what? He'll say, I know I did and I'll make it good. That's how we have faith in God. But that's also how God's sovereignty is really to be understood. He, a sovereign God, limited himself by his own sovereignty, by making promises to us that he cannot violate or else he'll lose his integrity. So is he in control of everything on the earth? Absolutely not. He's not. Because you see, there's an enemy out there doing some things too. So it's up to us to make our decision that I'm going to walk with God, understand his promises, and I'm going to experience by faith what he promised he would do for me. If I do my part, then he will do his part. Well, praise God, I pray that, pray that that blessed you. It helps us grow in our faith and understand this anchor for the soul is necessary for all of us to succeed in this realm of life. So take it to God, but take it to God, not just in prayer, but with the word backing what your prayer is because he said it.